Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, episode 32, your go-to podcast for hot takes and reactions to the legendary 2019 mecha anime TV series. Wait, wait, no, that's... Oh, yeah, 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 that's uh, going on. Man, oh, yeah. Omelette Sir uh, was crazy, dude. Yeah, I know, right? And we, we all saw uh, Ovala Sir in, uh, in that mech suit. Crazy stuff, right? <laughs> Uh, for those who haven't already picked up on it, we are we uh, we just saw uh, the latest PV for uh, the DNT anime, in uh, which uh, we uh, found f- uh, we we discovered that the Ovalisser murder murder hallway uh, is being replaced by what appears to be some kind of mech battle. <laughs> Uh, it's Ryan Thal or Mittermeier, the one dual wielding. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, like in my uh, heart, it has we, to be Ryan Thal. Yeah, so before we get into that, as always, I'm your host, G, and the one on the other end there asking the very pertinent questions mm-hmm. is my co-host, Eero. I'm still here to ask the very pertinent questions. Yes, so in this PV, we see that Ovalisser... So I'm glad I'm glad about this because it, it, we we watched the first episode of D, uh, of the new season of DNT. And uh, they had a new credit sequence where we saw um, Ovlisser, Roenthal, and Mittermeier in what appeared to be the new, like, what at the time appeared to be the new power armor for DNT. Uh-huh. And as you can kind of, like, support here, Eero, they didn't really look that impressive, right? right? Like, they kind of looked like, uh, kind of like plug anime, suits. yeah, anime ninja plug suits, basically, yes. But uh, the latest PV was like, don't worry, fam, we got you covered. And, Guess that uh, they are actually wear plug suits for mechs. Yes, so they've replaced the skull-faced power armor of the Empire with what appear to just be straight up like mini mechs, like I'm at sure. least ten feet tall by the looks of it. Like, <laughs> and in that we see Ovalisser with his signature axe going up against what appear to be um, Royenthal and Mittermeier, also in mechs, and uh, one is dual wielding swords. The other is holding his sword with both hands, and we had the very important discussion of uh, which of those two would be the dual wielder. Like, in my heart, it's Roenthal. Of course, Lord, of course, Roenthal would dual wield is like the way my brain took it. Right, because like he has the heterochromia. Uh-huh. Like Roenthal is just such a, a fucking ridiculous story. character. Yeah. Like Roenthal is the most anime character of the like Empire cast, so it should be him. Like, of course he would dual wield. Right. But then I feel like there's a part of me that is like, yeah, but also don't you feel like like Roythal would be the one who would be like personality-wise sensible enough to use one sword? Right. Or and just like, like Mittermeier is the like upstart commoner, you know, he's rough and tumble. Uh, right, but not only that, but like Mittermeier gives me maximum fucking, this is a shout out to all the Tales of Symphonia fans. <laughs> one sword, uh, 100 power. Right, giving me Max Lloyd Irving fa- uh, uh, energy of like, well, yeah, one sword is 100 power, then two swords is 200 power. <laughs> you know, that classic Empire math that they love uh-huh. to use. I mean, that's what um, Binfield will say. Yes, that's a very Bittenfield move. Uh, I, I argued that Bittenfield is the kind of guy who would be like, a sword? Uh, what What do you take me for, uh, a peasant? And would just fight with his bare hands. But, uh, in fact... Bittenfield in fact, would Bittenfield's... argue that the power is multiplicative and not additive. Right. Bittenfield is the kind of person who would, like... See, seriously, Bittenfield is the kind of person where if he fought in one of those mech suits, like, 
events would eventually conspire where he would have to pull some like Gurren Lagod bullshit of like jumping out of the power suit mid fight uh-huh. to continue to to continue the fight on foot, and like he would somehow just like pull that Lord Genome shit. Of just like yeah, probably <laughs> ripping the pilot out of the other mech suit. Uh, unfortunately, that does not happen at the opera in these episodes. No, no. Unfortunately, there is no mech fight at the opera. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Indeed. We are talking about, of course, the legendary 1988 science fiction anime OVA. Uh huh. And um, specifically, episodes 90, 91, and 92. Yeah, we are we are in it. Uh, we are getting we are we are we are in the weeds of uh, of season four here, mm-hmm. and uh, it would be no exaggeration to say this was an interesting trio of episodes. Indeed, um, we kick off with episode ninety. Yes, with, uh, with episode- uh, a new opening. Yes, because we totally forgot to talk about the new opening and uh, ending sequences in our prior podcast again. So. Uh, Again, we keep forgetting. So uh, we are treated to what will probably go down in history as kind of the worst of the four uh, OVA openings. Yeah, um, not to say that's that bad, but like it's not bad. Quality like of the a, English know, look, is noticeably poorer than uh, right, right. The first it's like when you compare when you compare this to like your like Wings of Lights and such. It's like it's 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 just uh, I feel like in many ways like. You know, we'll get to the ED sequence maybe the, at the at the end of episode uh, this episode ninety recap. But um, I feel like the endings benefited a lot from having one singer for all four EDs. Oh, I yeah. feel like I feel like that really maintains a really strong um, them- uh, thematic cohesion to it. You know, like this. I mean, also just that dude has an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just this dude crooning about like. Uh, you know the inevitability of fate and like you know yes yes like not letting the dreams of those who have left us die in our hearts and all that stuff whereas i feel like changing the singers as often as they have for the ops as kind of like right they don't have the same like cohesion i think, to the, their first, I think the first two are the same singer. right the first two are the same but then the third and the fourth are different and I do really, I really do like the third OP. You know, I mean, it is our <laughs> mm. for better the instrumental version. Before we knew it was the third OP, yep. it was uh, our uh, it is our it is our podcast intro. But um, but uh, yep. But yeah, more anyways. Empire stuff from that opening. Yes, yes. Uh, great shot of Eisenach giving a thumbs up That's at the very right. end. It's very <laughs> funny. It's very funny to me. I could not get enough of it. Like, somehow Eisenach has gotten enough screen time now to, like, get the OP treatment, which is uh, sure. very funny to me. But, uh, but uh, yeah, episode 90. I mean, maybe he has to. Maybe they got to bring Eisenach up. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of those guys who were with Reinhardt in the first OP are, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just say Drop that him. those ranks are starting to thin out as yep. we uh, get into season four. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so we return to Heinesen. Um, where uh, we finally find out what was the incident at um, I'm sorry, Ira, what was the name the of the park New again? Kim Hoa Park. Yes, yes. Um, where we find out that uh, memorial services are being held for uh, for the for former Alliance personnel who were killed in the war. Yep. Um, we find out that uh, Roythal kind of like 
is basically letting this happen because, like, as far as we can tell, it is not like an Empire-sponsored event. Uh, Roenthal knows uh, to stay out of it. He thinks that his presence there would stir up trouble. Yep. Uh, Roenthal in general, it turns out that when he is not being, um, as we might say, uh, fucking ridiculous, is uh, a fairly like competent and rational administrator. Like, I do... I can respect the idea that he is aware, like he is, uh, he is self-aware enough of his own reputation mm-hmm. to know that like him being around just causes trouble <laughs> to put it for better or worse. Yeah. So, um, he's basically like, ah, just let him do it. Uh, send some security yeah. forces there, of course, because like, there's going to be a lot of people there. We found out that, uh, 200,000 are going to be attending this vigil and, uh, you know, just kind of, Keep an eye on things. Make sure shit don't pop off. Um, However, shit pops off. Because this is Legend of the Galactic Heroes, yes. As Eros said, shit pops off almost immediately. All the guards are there, Um, and uh, they kind of start gathering, and people in the crowd start shouting, Yang Banzai, and uh, start throwing rocks and rioting. Right, it turns into a pro Yang Wen Lee rally, uh, cheers democracy, all that stuff, and yeah, they start protesting, and uh, the imperial soldiers kind of attack the crowd, and uh, one of the uh, civilians protesting is killed in the ensuing scuffle, and uh, things kind of just go immediately downhill yep. from there, you know, where now the soldiers have started opening fire on the civilians, that the civilians are, you know, taking rocks and beating soldiers to death with them. It's, it's a real bad yeah. scene. It's uh, a real bad scene. Like they they um, know that the, the official records say that it was justifiable self-defense. Yes. In a very legend of galactic heroes move, the narrator points out that the official record states that, um, these deaths were 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 acceptable within the legal confines of the system, mm-hmm. but uh, as we see, it's uh, you know this is you know I wouldn't put this on the same level of injustice as say the 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 protests that killed Jessica Edwards, but you know at the end of the day, it kind of does show like a, a distinct inability for like. Like, for better or worse, right? Like, the Empire is are the invaders, right? They are the occupiers. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, they kind of get into this, right? Like, so we find out that 4,000 were killed, uh, 50,000 were injured, you know, just a real bad scene all around. Uh, Royenthal, of course, suspects that uh, someone instigated it. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if that turns out to be the case. But, um you know, you know, there, there is also this aspect, though, that, like, Roenthal kind of muses on, though, that, like, even if somebody did not instigate this, like, like, the pro-Yang rally itself was likely organic. Like, that part of the, right. like, that part of the vigil was likely organic. Like, there's this idea that, like, the Empire were the invaders. They stamped out democracy. And, like, you know, we have been shown time and time again the, like, very uncomfortable realization that, oh... The people of the FPA don't actually like care about democracy that much, but as we see here with this two hundred thousand strong rally, like there's this idea that like as long as democracy remains in the living memory, like it cannot be, it, it cannot be erased so easily. Mm-hmm. But um, but the fact that it got as violent as it did, he suspects might have been there was might have been instigated play. to discredit him in some way. Right, to um, kind of 
you know, just to tarnish his capabilities as an administrator, essentially, you know, do do to Roenthal what Lennon Kampf did to did to himself, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, in the midst of all this chaos, however, they arrested um, someone who was very important or perhaps used to be very important to the FPA. Uh, they uh, pull up the file of uh, former Fleet Admiral Sidney Sitelay. Yes, who, uh, who was apparently quit beekeeping to <laughs> quit beekeeping to champion democracy once more. Apparently, yes. So we find out that Sitelay was at the rally. Uh, we also find out that Sitelay is not a snitch. So uh, you know, continues to be a great character who was maybe sunsetted too early. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I know he was like, I did not instigate this, but, uh, I participated, absolutely participated. I gladly participated. I'm sad that I didn't instigate it. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> I don't know is... Who did, even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Yes. It's very good. Sidele is actually channeling some maximum Roenthal energy here. Sidele, like, like when people were like, when people were like, Roenthal, did you commit treason? He's like, I didn't commit treason, but if I did, this is how I do it. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> there's a great energy here with Sidele where he's like, I didn't start the protest, but I wish I had. Uh, <laughs> you know, Roenthal's like, if you don't tell me, you know, I'm going to have to like detain you. And Sidele's like, if you detain me, like, you know, that I'm going to have to, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to lead my own protest. Right. If you like, don't detain me, I'll just do more of this. So you should probably yeah. detain me, I guess. Yes. Yes. We have a great bit here where Sidele admits that like for better or worse, like his abdication as like head of the FPA, like he could not have known. But in many ways, like Sidele being forced to resign after the kind of disastrous battle at, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. at Amlitzer all those years ago. In many ways, his abdication led to the appointment of Kubersley, which led to his attempted assassination, which led to like the just further destabilization of the FPA. I think Sidele is being a little too hard on himself here, but he does say that in many ways, his abdication cost many deaths, that he feels that in some part, his abdication is why he's still alive while Bukok and Yang Wen Li, you know, are no longer with us. And that uh, he will not run away from his responsibilities again. Mm-hmm. And that uh, I do kind of hope that like, he's being t- detained here. I, I don't I hope this doesn't mean he's being written out of the story. I would actually really I, I actually really dig thematically the return of Sidele. Yeah. Like, I think he could be a really interesting viewpoint character for like someone who champions democracy but is like has to work within the confines of being still being on Heidison. You know, he did not join the Iserlone crew. But like, what does the grassroots democracy like movement look like back on Heidison? Mm-hmm. Right? Like in the in the wake of a of a of a, of a post Yangwen Li world, in the in the wake of a world that in where Heidison is not called Heidison anymore. Right? It is, it is now Noye Land. Like, what does uh. what does the struggle for democracy look like? And I think Sidele could be a really great character to uh, to examine that. So I do hope this is not the last we see of him. Yeah. But and, uh, uh, yep, Roenthal uh, wonders if maybe Young Wen Li uh, was fortunate to have died before stuff started popping off even further. Uh, yes, and yes, that also uh, a warrior in an era of peace is a chained watchdog. Yes, fucking Roenthal. And peace, it's boring. 
Right, Roythal continuing to not help his case of people trying to slander him with accusations of treason. Um, because he himself apparently cannot help it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, continues to show the Empire leadership just completely failing to, like, completely misinterpreting Yang Wenli as a person. Yes. Like, be like, oh man, Yang Wenli was lucky to have died before the war ended. Now, all true warriors understand how boring peace is. It's like, motherfucker, please. Like, Yang would have <laughs> loved peace. Yang would have loved this. Like Yang, Yang was killing y'all to earn this peace that y'all are now getting. You know, you y- you privileged few are getting bored of. Uh-huh. But um, and uh, we got a lovely bit from the narrator here, who's talking about how, uh, according to the uh, the writings of military commander Ernest Mecklinger, uh, <laughs> leaders have a balance between wisdom and courage, and while. Reinhard was the highest in terms of courage, and Yang Wenli was highest in terms of wisdom. Royenthal had the most powerful balance between wisdom and courage. Yes, yes. Fucking Mecklinger, like, at least invoked once again in name, if not in person, in what is has to be the most l- Legend of the Galactic Heroes <laughs> ass way possible, is by referencing Mecklinger, not as his current form as an admiral of the Empire, but, but supposedly a, a, as... A writer and military commander, like... Yes, yes, as a, like, biographer of the events of the Empire. And this is really interesting, because, like, we kind of got into this, like, last podcast with, like, historical contingency and, like, who writes history. And it turns out the narrator, narrator's telling us that, uh... Mecklinger writes history. Apparently. And this is interesting because Mecklinger is not an unbiased source. Mecklinger is inherently a biased source on the history of this era. But all histories are, in in essence, biased to some degree or another because of just the origins of who writes them. And I think this is interesting because, like, of course Mecklinger, like, Mecklinger, the guy who never even fought Yang Wenli, uh-huh. like would make some lofty claim about, oh, Yang's weakness was he he had too much wisdom and not enough courage. And it's like, I'm not saying that is an invalid accusation of Yang Wenli, uh-huh. but like, also, this is coming from a dude who like, never met Yang Wenli, never fought Yang Wenli. Like, right. like, yeah, he had like a tiny skirmish with him when he was like coming up in the rear of the Israelin corridor. Mm-hmm. And you know, and did, he got retreated. scared and bailed. <laughs> right. So like, so, like, again, no hating on Mecklinger, but also, like, it is interesting because Mecklinger is in, is in many ways, I would not consider Mecklinger a reliable source on Yang Wenli. Like, this is, like, the, the thing that makes history interesting, right? Is because we also have the very real subplot of Dusty. Dusty Attenborough is also writing his biography of this time period. But, you know, his version might not ever get published, right? Like, mm-hmm. Dusty might die. Dusty's writings might be lost. The very reality of the fact that the Empire would probably never publish a book written by, like, you know, (laughs) their most hated enemy. Like, there's a lot of reasons why Dusty's version might not ever get out there. And Dusty's version is also biased, right? Like, Dusty's biography of Yang Wenli would also, like, be very skewed. And, like, history is a lot about, like, like, some future historian is going to have to uncover Dusty's version of Yang Wenli and Mecklinger's version of Yang Wenli. And like, 
he's going to that historian is going to have to two of viewpoints right. history. and that, that historian will have to debate other historians who will like make arguments that like well Dostoevsky Burrow is biased because he knew Yang Wenli while another historian might argue well in that sense shouldn't Dusty's like biography be more like accurate because he actually knew the man in person versus Mecklinger who could only write about him like second or third hand because like here's the thing like Mecklinger writing this biography of history like who did he like that's the thing. Like we don't think like, when we when we read history books, we kind of take them as sacrosanct. But like you have to actually like there's history to examining Back how history sources. books are written, right? Like what were Mecklinger's sources? Who did he interview? Like who did Mecklinger interview for his history of Yang Wenli? Mm-hmm. Right? Like who did he talk to? Like did he talk to Poplin or Julian? Did he talk to Mueller? Like Mueller would be a second or third hand source, which would make Mecklinger's like writing of Yang Wenli like literally fourth hand. It's almost hearsay at that point, you know? Yeah. Like, and again, I love Mecklinger. I'm not hating on him. So, but I think it's really interesting that they would portray this because like. It's a very like it's a very hindsight is twenty twenty thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like in hindsight, you can say, oh yeah, like R- Reinhard was too aggressive, Yang Wen Lee was too passive, but Roenthal, Roenthal was the Ryu of Legend of the Galactic <laughs> Heroes. Like, I'm glad this <laughs> show has is the type of show that could say these things, but also have the line that was according to the writings of this person, rather than right. rather than Mister Omniscient Narrator presenting something as irrefutable fact you know because i think that's what we're used used to is like what the narrator says goes but uh right like if the narrator says something it is implied to be like word of god if the narrator said royenthal is the perfect balance between the two we are in essence kind of forced to accept that as the correct uh, like uh, 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 assessment of these characters but when they are saying mecklinger is saying like heroes is a show that will say these things but make sure to say it was written by a historian somewhere yeah and i can really appreciate that because again whether this was in the novels or not the fact that it is here in the ova immediately like communicates a different type of storytelling than like a lot of other fiction Mm -hmm. but uh we kind of move on from there um receives a uh anonymous note that uh jobtrunik is the one who started the shit Right, to the surprise of nobody. <laughs> uh-huh. So he calls in Job Trinic to his office to say, I've got my a fucking eye on you. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yes, once again, uh, <clears throat> Roenthal, for some reason, not doing the logical thing of just like... Instantly getting rid of him. Right, just using this as an excuse, like regardless of the validity of this evidence or not, just using this as an excuse to have Trinit imprisoned or executed... He, uh, for some reason, Trunit just projects a field of, like, everybody hates him, but for some reason they are, like, compelled to give him far more rope than he seems to deserve. Because, again, Bergengrunt is like, why the fuck didn't we just arrest him? And Roythal's like, no, 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 this is a warning. I want him to know that, like, <laughs> these are the kind of letters I'm uh, getting. Yeah. And, like, I swear, if he fucks up the next time, I'll definitely arrest him. Definitely. It's like, Royenthal, by, by the end of these three episodes, you might not have a next time. <laughs> like, and you, you, you lost your shot. Like, you should have, you should have taken this letter, like, regardless of validity, just been like, true date, you're going to jail. Yep. Like, you lost your chance the moment you let him go this episode. And, um, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so, so I, I would like to note yeah. also that Reinthal is concerned about uh, the Isloran government in a way that Reinhard is definitely not. Yes, because Reinhard's like Reinhard's investment in the Isloran government was purely based in Yang Wenli. So without Yang Wenli, he's kind of content to leave Isloran alone. Whereas right. Reinhard, who is you know dealing with crap. the what's left of Heinesen and FPA on his side, they're a more pressing concern to him. Right, because the existence of the Iserlone Republic is, in some ways, what allows and emboldens the people to protest on Heidesen, because they know that, like, on some level, there is a form of democracy that still exists in this world. Yep. But, uh... And we cut over to them, hanging out, drinking, talking about, uh... Talking about Yulian, the, old, the older crew gossiping about Yulian... Yes, yes, about how uh, he and Karen are spending more time together. Nah, they are, as a matter of fact. Yes, they are indeed. Uh, Julian's uh, Julian's looking lame as fuck whenever Karen is around field is beginning to dissipate. Yep, finally. It seems like, seems like Karen is now able to see Julian for, like, the cool, capable young man he is instead of the fucking, like, clumsy goober mm-hmm. he always looked like whenever Karen was around. Yeah, um, Shenkov showed up. Yes, to be a fucking piece of shit for a little while. He's. <laughs> I mean, we've spent ninety episodes with this guy or whatever. Like, he's an all right dude, but also kind of a piece of shit, especially when it comes to this. Yes, specifically when it comes to like fatherhood and parenting, Shenkov kind of continues to show that like <laughs> he's kind of a fucking. Uh, Shenkov is a lot. Like, uh, what my daughter maybe... thinks of me is her problem, not my problem. Yeah, yeah, it's some, it's the, some real. The daughter's shit. left more of an impression on my mind than the mother did. God, Shed like, Cop, please. The most, like Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 weird because like. Like, we keep seeing scenes where, like, Shen Kopp is clearly, like, putting on a front to, like, distance himself from Karen, but, like, it's, like, this, the things he is, he is saying are so fucking shitty yes. that, like, even if it is, like, a front, it's, like, an unbelievably shitty front to put up. Yep. But, um, you know, we can't, we don't have time to worry about that because, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, we get news, uh, we get news from Konev, um, or maybe not Konev. Is it just where they? That's later. No, this they they got they yes yes. That's and also like they got news from Konev. Episode. Well, also they got news from Konev last time as well, right? Because uh, they already know about Job, and so they are holding a meeting to discuss um, our favorite subject, uh, Job Trunit. Oh boy, and uh, how he's uh, a piece of shit over there, and uh, yes, he's yes. probably planning something. Yes. How about we send a letter to Roenthal so that they don't trust him. <laughs> yes yes uh dusty or is it dusty that makes that suggestion yeah yes and how they wouldn't want uh reinhard to be uh assassinated by a menial villain uh just like yang was right but of course that they are probably considered menial villains yes they kind of get it to well if nothing else trunit and oberstein devouring each other might be interesting yeah, I you know, like I said, well, how many episodes ago did I say that? Put Chuck Trudeau over side in a ring with one knife. 
Yes, yes. I I doubt I doubt that is actually how it's going to go down, but like it's a it's a it's a conflict I'd certainly be interested in seeing. Mm-hmm. And uh Frederica is continuing her duties as the boss, I guess. Yes. Uh we find Frederica continuing one of her greatest skills, which is being making us um, sad about Young Woodley. I was gonna say being depressingly good at dealing with deeply personal loss in her life, mm-hmm. uh, considering that she is probably like uh, under thirty and has lost both her father and her husband. Um, yep. uh, and uh, she is just like doing her best to like just try and stay atop of things. She mentions uh, that she might have been good friends with Jessica Edwards. Right, which leads to this hilarious, like, fucking new type flash for Julian, uh-huh. where he's like, oh my god, Frederica equals Jessica Edwards. But Jessica Edwards died horribly trying to protect democracy in an incredibly right. sad and tragic matter. Yes, oh no! yes, he is highly he is highly concerned about Frederica ending up in the same fate. Um, But uh, before we get into that... You know, we decided, ah, whatever, let's get dinner at the Castle News. Yep. So, um, you know, uh, they uh, have a dinner party. Ju- yes, Julian, Karen, and Frederica are invited to dinner with uh, Castle News family. Uh-huh. Uh New, of course, refers to the ladies as the, uh, the beautiful, boisterous flowers of Iserlo, uh-huh. uh making the prophecy of uh, the flowers of Iserlo Indeed. come true. But then he's like, oh, let the ladies play with the kids. Let's go drink alone. <laughs> like men. <laughs> oh, fucking. Yes, which is just fucking ridiculous. But yes, so Kazunu takes uh, Julian to another to his room, to like his office or something, and they just start pouring drinks. Again, I point I out without ice. They, they just drink them straight from the glass, yep. which is uh, certainly a move. The, um, but the narrator notes and, that uh, laughter is... They can hear laughter, and for now, laughter is better than crying, at least. Yes, there is this kind of this idea that, like, yeah, even in the face of hardship, even in the face of a world where the percentage of people who practice democracy in this galaxy number in the, like, point zero 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 one percent but life goes on. Yep. And uh, finally, however, we this episode ends uh, on its huh? most sinister note. Uh, we return to the Earth cult. Yep. Where... Uh, De Villiers... Scheming. And de Villiers scheming in a way that I am forced to admit is uh <sighs> pretty fucking good actually. Yep, as, like yeah. it's so easy to write off the Earth cult as just a bunch of like goofy like extremists, but like they are goofy extremists with a fairly solid conspiracy going for them. De Villiers explains the reason they did not back the FPA. The reason why they actually helped the 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 empire hasten the death of the FPA is because, in a sense, the Earth Cult was never going to take on both the FPA and the Empire. Like our initial thought that oh, the Earth Cult's plan is to have the FPA and the and the Empire fight each other and weaken themselves so that the Earth Cult can swoop in and take out both of them was never realistic because even those two powers, even if they were completely reduced, completely destroyed. Um, would still be powerful enough. So instead, the Earth Cult has realized that the actual way to like establish their power is to subvert Reinhardt's complete rule from within. Right. If they uh, can get Reinhardt to have supreme power over the galaxy, 
and also push him in such a direction where he becomes like a particularly cruel or otherwise like absolute ruler than uh, the comparatively, you know, nice <laughs> sounding uh, moral code of the Earth cult uh, doctrine will uh, become popular among the people and will give them power. Right. Because it will become its ideological opposite. And the idea being that, like, we always thought that, like, the spectrum was autocracy versus democracy. And it seems that even the Earth cult themselves realized this. And that is why they wanted to get rid of Yang Wenli. Because they, in essence, realized that, okay, even if we push Reinhardt to become a more despotic and cruel ruler, what people will actually turn to is democracy. But... The thing is that, like, politics is not a two-way street. Politics is actually a very complex, like, web like of spectrums and, like, ideologies. And, in fact, it is not unthinkable to have a political spectrum in which one end lies secular authoritarianism and the other side lies, like, theocratic authority- uh, 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 autocracy. And... That doesn't sound like much of a political spectrum to you or me, but in a world where, like, if they can create a world in which Reinhardt is cruel enough, where the Empire's actions are cruel enough, then all of a sudden, the dogmatic religion almost seems, like, comparatively more attractive. Mm-hmm. And so... And it's like, how, how many episodes ago did I say, like, part of the religion's power is having a shared code of ethics that's not necessarily answerable to a government's written law right right it can it can get away with certain things that like the more secular governments cannot it can play by different rules yep. and we are kind of seeing that in action here I, where specifically call back to rome as well and how yes christians were persecuted until uh the new emperor became a christian and uh and therefore Christianity became the like major a major force in the history of the world. Uh, right. There is this I there is this idea that like again, based on real history, that actually again, instead of making Reinhardt and the FPA weaken each other, we make Reinhardt stronger. We centralize all the power and authority into Reinhardt, or not even Reinhardt, but the position of the Kaiser. And then all of a sudden the Earth Cult doesn't need to subvert a government. It just needs to subvert one person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, that's a terrifyingly, like, a terrifyingly solid grasp of, like, human politics and, like, society in a way that I did not think the Earth Cult were capable of. <laughs> but by kind of laying their plan bare here for us, the viewers, I have to say they, their plan, I can see it working because like their plan hinges on like driving Reinhardt into like, into becoming a despot, right? Like by flaring up the like betrayals and the hints of treason, what they are doing is increasing his sense of paranoia and, like, the more paranoid a ruler gets, the more irrational he gets, right? The more hasty he gets. And not only that, but the more distrustful he, he becomes of the information around him. And a less informed 
uh, uh, Kaiser is a less effective Kaiser. And there's this idea that, like, again, like, because all the authority rests in him, if we can just turn him into, like, a raving paranoid lunatic, then, like, we don't have to take over the whole government, you know? We just have to put somebody who will be... We just have to make sure somebody will be in the right place at the right time to take over when, like, Reinhardt loses it, essentially. Yep. And it's kind of a terrifying plan because, like, it's ridiculously subversive, but also, like, strangely believable, especially within, like, the scope of the Legend of the Galactic Heroes universe. Yeah. And the episode but, uh, literally ends on fucking evil laughter. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, yes, so then we get the uh, the new ED, yes. which um, kind of continues to hammer the point of all of the EDs being <laughs> very bittersweet um, sequences of all the older generations entrusting their future and their hopes and their dreams onto the shoulders of uh, Julian. Yep, pouring their ideals into his hands. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a little on the nose, just like sequence of Yang Wenli and then all these other characters who are either dead or going to be dead soon yep. pour their hopes into Julian. And, you know, it's uh, it's a good ED. I, I like it a lot. It is, I, I mean, all I like all, very good. Yes, yes. It's hard to pick a favorite out of the four, but um, I do like thematically where it's going. Even if, like, once again, it definitely leans a little hard into this idea of, like, Julian becoming the fucking, like the fucking Jesus of democ- of democracy, just, like, inheriting everybody's hopes and dreams. But, uh... <laughs> who better to do it, I suppose. Indeed. But, uh... We're not talking about Julian today. We're talking about, uh... It's all Empire this week, yeah, baby. Uh-huh. Episode so, 91. Uh, we return to- yes, we return to Fazan. Uh, Hilda's back. Back on the job. <laughs> uh, we, we get this great <laughs> sequence where Hilda reports that she's back to work. And... Reinhardt's face is just <laughs> perfect. He is like blank face, totally blank face. He just looks so confused. Like he doesn't know what to say. Like he is flapped. Like this is the first time uh, in like years we have seen Reinhardt legitimately not know what to say in a situation. Right. Just this great beat of him not saying anything and like opening his mouth, closing it. It's like blinking, uh, totally unable to go with anything, to, fiddling with like a book on his desk. Like, yes, it's very good. It, it really does remind you that like Reinhardt is still pretty young. All said and done, like mm-hmm. it's easy to forget that when he owns the entire fucking galaxy. Yeah. But like, he's still kind of a bratty goober in some ways, and uh, we find out that to deal with his feelings of like. Of, of listlessness and loss. He uh, decides to uh, try to find some new hobbies. Yeah. Uh, because, the, as the narrator points out, uh, other than warmongering, Reinhardt doesn't really have any hobbies, you know? Like, he has no way to divert his mind's energies. Yep. So, so he, he gets into... He plays uh, 3D chess. Right, he's play, he gets into three-dimensional chess. Uh, he starts getting to horse riding. Um, he goes to see plays, 
uh, where we see a right. great sequence where he drags Binfield along to go see him play. <laughs> and at first, Binfield is doing the most Binfield thing of all, where he just, just he looks so into it. So he's like happy. clapping his hands. He is like hooting. He is like, yeah, hell yeah. I love like, the Right again. This is like this is like an empire play, right? It's like an opera, right? It's like a Germanic opera, and fucking like Benfield looks like he'd be more at home at a fucking like like at a fucking wrestling match or something. Rodeo. And he's just like, yeah. He's just like, oh hell yeah, fuck yeah, I love that part. And then of course, but then at the very end, he uh, he yawns, uh, showing that uh, <laughs> he's just. Midfield is just doing his best to put up a front of interest, but <laughs> right, uh, we get this. We cut to like the, all the admirals hanging out together. Uh, yes, and looks and... is like <laughs> taking Midfield to the ballet. Yes, and uh, looks immediately after saying this is informed. Oh no, I have to go to a poetry reading. <laughs> Yes, just all of the fucking admirals are, and what is maybe one of my favorite conversations with the admirals because it's closest this to the conversa- FDA social dynamic. Yes. yes, in terms of the social dynamic here, this conversation here feels closer to the FPA that I've ever seen in the Empire before because they're just ribbing each other, they're just bantering. Mm-hmm. Like again, because like that's the thing. Like in this specific social circle. Bittenfield getting dragged to a play with Reinhardt is the kind of thing you would joke about. It is the kind of thing you would give him shit for, you know? Like, it is totally a thing of, like, oh, f- oh, Bittenfield, fucking Bittenfield getting dragged to the play. The same Bittenfield that has gotten punked on, like, half a dozen times by the uh-huh. FPA. The Bittenfield whose rank only continues to rise with every failure getting dragged to a to an opera and has to pretend to be interested and of course Bittenfield's a good sport right so like the Bittenfield acts interested in the way Bittenfield would right of like just (laughs) just like gesticulating but like of course we all know that Bittenfield could not care less about uh about this sort of thing Uh uh-huh but uh, but yes, they also joke that man, it really sucks that they left Mecklinger on Odin. Right. Mecklinger's in all this dumb the, shit. Right, Mecklinger is the only one of us who would actually enjoy this shit. Um, of course, uh, Mittermeier is like, oh, but uh, man, Kaiser Reinhardt shouldn't uh, should give money to the arts to produce culture. But if he's too interested, then arts will stagnate because. All the artists will just try to pander to the Kaiser's tastes, which which See, allows Mueller to just say, "Wow, you know so much. Can you switch with me so you can go to the opera instead of me?" Yes, it's very good. I mean, it is definitely one of those like great friend dynamics of like you have that one friend who like you're like you love him, but you are having that conversation where you're all just like fucking shooting the shit, and then your one friend is like, "Actually, this joke kind of ties into a greater like systemic." like blah 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 and that's what Mittermeier is here where they're all joking about like man fucking patroning the arts is boring and then Mittermeier is of course the one who's like like Reinhardt shouldn't do this because art will stagnate because of him and the rest of them are just like dude not the time like <laughs> like nobody fucking then maybe cares you about- maybe you can tell us about avant-garde music Mittermeier right, like, yes it is very much like okay nerd like maybe you could go to the play with Reinhardt instead of me but uh but yes uh and then, of course, uh, switch places Mittermeier. with me, Byron. 
Right, Mittermeier then settles it all to Byerlane, and Byerlane's like, why me? <laughs> like, Mittermeier essentially says, because you're the most junior of us, so... Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Also says, like, hey, you also need a hobby, because, like, you know, uh, calling me back to uh, Grill Palser's uh, right. uh, astronomy hobby. Somehow, somehow that fucking aside, like, 30 episodes ago, became relevant again for, like, 10 seconds here. Yep. Um... And then Mueller, of course, is just like... A war would be better than this. <laughs> yeah, Mueller accidentally fucking predicting the war uh, in a way that only Empire admirals can. Mm-hmm. Of just, uh, yes, he's just like very, like, he's being very, like... <laughs> yeah, right, it's like obviously a joke. He's like, oh man, I'd rather fight a war than this. It's like, oh, Mueller, you don't even... Bum, <laughs> <laughs> If you knew what happened literally in the next episode of this series. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, in a uh, abandoned forest glade with a nice table yes. set up with some, with we some whiskey. Find, uh, we find that Rubinsky <laughs> has yet another fucking like hidden layer. Just in the middle like, of a fucking to, forest. like Right. To, to complement his like underwater like submarine compound and his like cave man- one and his, like, or his mountain mountain man- yes he also has a fucking like fairy like fairy nymph glade um which of course we later find out is is a hologram but at the time i was just fucking losing it i was like how isn't he supposed to be on the run like how many forests does Vazad have like don't they live in an era with like advanced like surveillance technology they have spaceships are you telling me they don't have like a swarm of drones just like flying over Fazan looking for Rubinsky like where how, how can he just fight a forest to like set up shop in? <laughs> but um yep. but yes he is meeting with Lang indeed and, uh, discussing horrible terror down Royenthal <sighs> yes yes they are discussing uh how they will goad Royenthal into betrayal and uh, they 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 kind of arrive at well, we'll plan an assassination on the Kaiser uh, that will naturally fail, of course, because we're not trying to kill the Kaiser here. But he will survive it, and it will, uh, as the Earth Cult said before, it will kind of inflame his feelings of paranoia and betrayal. Uh, he'll blame Royanthal for it, and then because Royanthal already has the kind of person, already has, shall we say, a confrontational personality. Like uh-huh. he'll happily take the bait if if Reinhardt start, tries to start shit. Like Royal is not the kind of guy who will try to like exonerate himself. Like the sad truth of the matter is that because of the personalities of Reinhardt and Royenthal, like if if they were once again if we once again return to the hypothetical uh uh seven eleven that represent re- represents the <laughs> galaxy. Yep. Uh, this is a situation where like fucking. The Earth Cult and Rubinsky basically slash Reinhardt's tires, and then, like, right in big, fat, like, Sharpie, Royenthal was here. And then, of course, Reinhardt would, like, fucking, like, get up in Royenthal's face. He would be like, hey, you know, Royenthal also chilling, you know, hanging out in the parking lot of this 7-Eleven. Reinhardt would be like, Royenthal, you fucking piece of shit, you slashed my tires. I didn't, but but what if I did, huh? 
Right. That's the problem with Rointo's personality. A rational person would be like, whoa, whoa, hang on. I didn't do that. Let's look at the evidence. I've been in here at my car the whole time. I've been doing sick tricks with Mittermeier. Like, but no, unfortunately, Rointo's the kind of person who's like, (laughs) yes, yes. Like, check it out. Like, check out this sick Ollie. Uh, but no, unfortunately, Rointo's the kind of person who'd be like, no, I didn't sw- slash your tires. He would then draw a knife and then say, I wish I had. And like, <laughs> no, no, no. See, that's I, I things which is, this way. You- I would have slashed this way. Yes, yes. And things would just degenerate from there. And so, for better or worse, Lang and Rubinsky are doing a good job of capitalizing on the, like, very, like, specific, strong personalities of these two. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, they are they, they kind of figure that, like, hey, Lang figures, you know, you get rid of Roenthal, and then you eventually get rid of Mittermeier and Oberstein, and, like, the rest is easy, right? right? Like, the idea here being that, like, oh, we just have to get rid of, uh, you know, kind of the people who are well, closest to uh, yeah. Reinhardt. Yes, My question yes. during and the scene the, is like, all so far all these plans sure line up with what Devilliers was saying, and we know that Rubinsky has been working with the Earth Cult from like the very beginning. But also, we've had scenes of Rubinsky being like, "Aha! I'll keep using these robed fools until it's my own time to shine." And so, like, how closely is he still working with them? Is my question. I, yeah, I feel like I don't quite understand that myself either. Like, because we haven't seen them actually speaking to to each other in a very long time. Yeah. So it's hard to tell, like, it's hard to tell if, like, Rubinsky's plans are falling in line with the Earth Cult simply because they are, for better or worse, objectively good plans. And, like, a good plot would eventually trend in this right. direction. Or if Rubinsky is taking, like, instruction or, or is f- taking orders from the Earth Cult or if it's actually the other way around at this point. Because, you know, uh, uh, Dominique shows up and kind of, like, asks, uh, you know, Rubinsky, like, so what are we planning to do with that Lane guy, right? Like, he's kind of a... That guy probably thinks that he's using you, right? Mm -hmm. And Rubinsky Rubinsky answers, like, well, of course, that's good. We want to see... That's how we want to seem to him, right? Like... We're both using each other. There's no better position... Right, there's no better position for a schemer to hold than to give off the impression of being a useful tool while at the same time using the other person. And, you know, the in this game of chicken that is being played by Lang and Rubinsky, the idea is who will eventually pull the trigger first once the other has outlived their usefulness. And, I mean, let's be real, for better or worse here, like, I don't think Lang has the chops to keep up here. Like, Lang is clearly being taken for a ride and uh, Rubinsky is eventually going to cut him yep. loose. And if, if we needed and any other the proof more- that Lang was not smart enough, he's dismissing Hilda as a threat. Right, yes, Lang, like, yes, they bring up, well, what about the Mariendorf family? And Lang's like, ah, oh, the elder Mariendorf's a loser. The only good thing about him is that he's a good person. Psh, what a loser. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, little Hilda, wench can't do whatever. anything. <laughs> right, like, it's, even though she's the smartest even though, person, even though, right, and not only that, but like you know, this is not again. This is not to denigrate Hilda's other talents. Like Hilda is a very talented and and, and intelligent woman, but also like, even if she weren't, like I feel She's like Lang the is extremely. <laughs> yes, she is banging the Kaiser. Like she got Reinhardt's <laughs> dick wet. Like, do not 
<laughs> Lang clearly is Lang is clearly not a historian because he does not understand the political power of pussy. Like, uh-huh. excuse me for getting a little uh, uh, raw here, but like, do not underestimate the power of relationships in politics. I mean, well, like Discord, like like, like like Rome, I, we mentioned a few minutes ago. The reason the reason that emperor turned to Christianity was because his wife was a Christian. Yes, yes. Thank you for thank you for the alley oop there, Eero. I I didn't want to go too long on this podcast, but yes. So. Uh, specifically what Eero's talking about is Emperor Justinian of the Roman Empire um, was the f- uh, was the first emperor of Rome to officially convert to Christianity, and that is because his wife, Theodora, was Christian. And, again, you can make all these... Of course, I, like that's a very reductive way of putting it. Like Historians kind of argue that like Justinian did it for like political reasons as well, that like the kind of Roman contingent of the populace was growing, you know, like more and more powerful, that it was like a good move, like it was a good PR move on him to convert to Christianity, you know? It's hard to say if he actually meant it or not. But the reality is that like by him converting to Christianity, he gave it a legitimacy that Again, this is the same empire that used to feed these people to the lions in the in 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 the Colosseum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the idea of it attaining that much legitimacy in the span of centuries, like. And again, like I, I don't mean to be just say, oh, he only did it because his wife was Christian, but like it speaks to the power of it's relationships. Ve- it's a vector of influence. Right, it is a vector of influence, and for Lane to just completely ignore that, like. Like again, like he's 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 a sexist pig because he is ignoring like Hilda's like actual legitimate accomplishments in politicking her intellect. Like the numerous times she has literally saved Reinhard's life. Like let's yeah. not forget how the Battle of Astate would have, or not Astate, um, uh, shit, Mar- uh, the Battle of of uh, Mar- sorry, Mar- Euro, do you remember? No, no, the sure Battle of. No, no, it's it's the it's the battle between uh Yang and uh, uh Reinhardt, right? Um, shit, I, there's I so forget. many battles, dude. I don't know, there's, there's so many battles. Or... <laughs> I'm sure it's not no, Mar- it's uh no, because Mars and Dead were Bucock no. fights. Remember? Shit. Yeah. Um. Shit. Oh, man, the listener, oh, no. the people who are listening to this podcast are screaming. It's a, it's a, fuck, it's a Pokemon city. There's Vermillion, Vermilion, Vermilion. Yes, thank you, thank you. Pokemon City nailed it, yes. All right, sorry to our listeners. It took us fucking a fucking Pokemon reference for us to remember, uh, but... Fuck. <laughs> That's just how our millennial brains are wired. Uh... <laughs> Right, like, like yes, it's like, do not underestimate Hilda's influence. So for Lane to just be, oh, that wench doesn't know anything. Like, he's already an idiot for underestimating her, like, legitimate accomplishments. He's also an idiot for underestimating how much power she has, like, by being, like, you know, in, in a relationship with Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so... You know, kind of just this idea of being like, but to, but the reason I brought that up is because like, so Rubinsky is playing Lang. Lang thinks he's playing Rubinsky, but also, is Rubinsky playing the Earth cult or is the Earth cult playing Rubinsky? Yeah. Is the that is the relationship I still don't think we have a full grasp on, and 
Maybe it's just because the two have not interacted in a while, so we don't really have a good grasp of their social dynamic mm-hmm. anymore. But and then of course, right, let's not forget that like Dominique is maybe playing Rubinsky, right? right? Like the pills and the Yeah, we don't know if that one's confirmed or not, but we know She's that like doing something. She's important somehow. Right. She is she she is also not a passive act she she is not a passive actor in this relationship. Like things are happening. And it's why, like, despite the fact that, you know, Rubinsky is a fucking snake, I think he is also one of the most interesting characters in this show to watch because of that reason. Um, but anyways, we can't spend too much time uh, on them. But turns so. out they've been using their influence to spread rumors across Fazan that Royenthal's planning yes, something yes. that he'll ask the Kaiser to right. make an official visit to Noye land and then he'll get him on the way. Right. So essentially, uh, Rubinsky, once again, doing the very, like, uh, very sneaky thing of basically, basically communicating what his actual plot is to the people he is plotting against. To lure because them he knows that, like, to, the, to thinking, haha, well, I know the plan, so. Right, right. And also just, like, by, also by forcing them into it because the social forces at play will force them right. into this plan, right? That's kind of what I we do, see I do here. like how like, they don't just send the rumor that, ah, uh, Roenthal will send the invitation and get him. They also send the. They also spread the rumor that Reinhard will invite Reinthal first, and then get him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's the old it's the old Yang Bagdashi <laughs> play, uh, when they like schooled on Lutz all those uh, episodes ago when he took back Iserlone, like you 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 cloud the real information in a miasma of misinformation that all all seem equally like believable. Yeah. And we find out that Oberstein actually knows about this. He knows about the plot. In fact, he knows that Lange and Rubinsky are meeting. And he chooses to let it happen. And it's a it's a small scene, but it does make me wonder, like, what is Oberstein's play here? Because mm-hmm. does it does Oberstein have such a myopic view of the rest of of Reinhardt's admirals? That he thinks that a civil war between Reinhard and Ruenthal will somehow benefit the Empire in the long run. Like, is is it a case of Oberstein recognizing that Ruenthal was always going to be a powder keg, and he figures it's easier to control an explosion if I set it off myself? I mean, that tracks than, for Oberstein. You know, it happening. Like, right. Oberstein and seems it's, like it's, the it's kind a, of guy situ- who would like totally go along with Rubinsky's plans to have Reinhard take full, like, f- complete fascist control of the Empire. Right. Like, I guess it's a weird thing of, like, but, and then, it's like, <sighs> this is me being naive, but then it's like, does Oberstein not understand, like, the millions of lives that would be lost in a civil war fought between Reinthal and Reinhard? Does, and then it's like, no, wait, <laughs> this is the man... This is the man that let Westerland happen. This man doesn't give a shit. Like this if man has ended, always if been ended up with Reinhardt having did. even more political power. Right. Like he has always been a needs of the many over the needs of the few kind of person. But like this is not just like a battle between like you know the scattered remnants of the FPA right. and the overwhelming power of the Empire. This is a civil war between two extremely competent and powerful individuals, right? This is not the Lipstadt League. This yeah. is Royenthal. Royenthal with a fleet that rivals Reinhardt's. I think like, this also brings up the question to me: Is that like Oberst- the reason Oberstein turned coat to join Reinhardt in the first place is because he was like sick of the 
decadence of the Goldenbaum dynasty and laws such as the inferior genes exclusion law. So like if Reinhard's administration ever got to that point, would he turn on Reinhard? It's yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's kind of hard to figure out, right? Like where Overstein is so fucking inscrutable. Right. Like the thing with Overstein is yes, he is one of this show's most kind of like ambiguous characters because we still don't really like even here, 90 episodes in, we don't actually have that good of a picture of him and his motivations. Like, is he a true Reinhard loyalist to the end? Like, is he actually like, is he doing all of these things behind Reinhardt's back, quote unquote, for his own good? Like, is he still operating under that assumption or does Oberstein have his own motivations? But because like the amount of suffering that Oberstein is causing through his like explicit inaction, like it it, it it borders on monstrous now. Like this is not just like this is not just like being sneaky in a couple battles. This is not just a war crime or two. Like knowing that a civil war is happening and then choosing not to stop it, like is probably problem with steroids. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 some truly ratchet shit. But uh, anyways, Reinhardt hears the rumors as well, and literally thinks to himself, yes. "Oh, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> I should, I should yeah, just, uh, yeah. yeah. I, oh man, if I if I do invite the Kaiser, I could just kill him and take control <laughs> of the universe. That's uh, yes, uh. yes. Reinhardt not helping his case, where he's like, hmm, treason." Why not? And it's just like, Royenthal, please! Like, you are on such thin ice. But also, like, Royenthal would not be Royenthal if he did not entertain it. Indeed. Uh, but anyways, Reinhardt gets the news, and he decides, ah, fuck it, let's go along with it. I'm gonna go visit him at Noye Land. Um, Royenthal does the plan because he figures, he invites Reinhardt to Noye Land, and either Reinhardt accepts showing Royenthal he's still, he is still trusted, or Reinhard refuses, which shows Reinthal that he is no longer trusted. And either way, what Reinthal is trying to get here is a better, like, feeling of the situation. View of yeah. yes, yes. And Reinhard goes along with it because of a combination of he has the same idea of he needs to feel out Reinthal's intentions, and also I was talking about the social forces at play. Like for better or worse, Reinhardt is a man who is like a slave to his reputation, and like a Reinhardt that does not accept this invitation is a Reinhardt that some might call a coward. Mm-hmm. And that is something Reinhardt's pride will never allow. Right. He refused, like, so, several of the people are like, you should stay until we have a better idea of the situation. And Reinhardt's like, I do not fear, Roenthal. I will, I will go. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, it's, it's Reinhardt really falling for, like, like, in many ways, Reinhardt is actually like a depressingly predictable individual in some regards. Like because he is so it is so easy to play on his like highly specific insecurities about his pride and his reputation. Like mm-hmm. and uh like to the point where like Reinhardt even refuses to take a fleet with him. Like right. despite the fact that Yang was literally murdered earlier this year uh, months ago because he had no he because he didn't have an escort. Reinhardt was like, nah, I'll go by myself. I'll take one ship with me. It's like, like Mueller is like, is like I think everybody's like begging him, like, please at least take a fleet with you. Right. Um, but uh, Reinhardt asks Mueller to be his attendant. 
uh, my shield. Lutz raises his hand. And, I want to uh, visit my sister. Lutz is like, <laughs> right, like, Lutz is like, oh, I got some family on Hydeson. Can I come too? And Ryder's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so Lutz basically, oh, you know, after the events of these three episodes, bless Lutz, essentially asking for a paid vacation to the Kaiser yep. and having it granted is actually very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Meyer, meanwhile, busy working on the two new fortresses. Next order of business. Which, uh, the Schattenberg. Yes, the, and uh, the uh, Schattenberg. Yeah. The, uh, the Dre Gross Admirals-Berg, which I definitely did not pronounce correctly, but uh, translated, they are the Shadow Castle and the Castle of the Three Fleet yes, Admirals. The three f- These three are Fleet Admirals in question, being those who have died in duty. Uh, Kirk Eyes, Fahrenheit, and Steinbeck. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God, I just realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it oh, at after this, Bittenfield, Bittenfield. everyone's walking, Bittenfield's like, hey, guys, oh, no. Castle of the Three Admirals, huh? <laughs> if someone else were to die, would we name it Castle of the Four Admirals? Bittenfield, no! Uh, oh, no! Oh, Everyone's no, like, ha, no, ha, ha, Bittenfield, you goofball. Oh, no. He's like, man, I'm <laughs> I don't know why the Kaiser shouldn't take me long. I'm a great warrior. I'm like, well. Oh, God. Are you, are you okay there? Anyway, yeah, and, and Mittermeier is like, it's just, it's just, I had not realized, like, after we watched episode 92, uh-huh. It did not occur to me uh-huh. in the moment watching that episode that Bittenfield had actually produced. I literally made the same it is only, well, it's only it is only going through these notes right now that I just realized uh-huh. that Binfield is a fucking fortune teller. Uh-huh. I guess both Binfield and Mueller are fortune tellers. Um, apparently, like you said, the narrative that, uh, turns to meet the desires of the Empire drama, right? If, that that the Empire just operates on a different, like, narrative type of causality than the FPA, where, like, the Empire Admirals should just never, ever open their mouths, because anytime they do, they fucking jinx themselves in the mm-hmm. worst ways possible. <laughs> but yeah, so then Mittermeier is like, oh, Bittenfield, don't worry, like, if, you know... I think Mittermeier literally says, "If you needed, if if the if the Kaiser needed somebody to fist fight Roenthal, I'm sure he would have brought you along." And uh, Ben feels like, "Well, there were no fist fights at the opera," and it's just like Benfield, please. <laughs> He's like the fucking Benfield meathead muscle man from a, like a fantasy show, but just transplanted completely into a space <laughs> yes. opera, you know. Yeah, it's like just Bidville is too fucking ridiculous. Oh god, it's just I I cannot I cannot handle Bittenfield's energy. He is he is too much. But uh um, yep. and uh they convince yes, the uh, so. Mittermeier and Mueller discuss the safety of this operation and how yes. they'll convince Reinhardt to take at least a few ships. Yes. Yeah, like I like that Mueller and Mittermeier like have a conversation where they're smart. <laughs> they're basically saying, well, yes. Well, they basically say that like Lang's up to something, but Lang is way too incompetent to pull this off. Was it Oberstein? Like, he cannot. Mm. 
Yeah, so they're like, like there must be somebody operating behind the scenes. But it's interesting because, like as we've said time and time again, Mueller and Mittermeier make some mistakes here, but they make mistakes based on the information they have available to them. Like nobody in this show is a passive actor; they're all active, and they're all making the choices that, to their knowledge, are the best choices they can make. So Mittermeier is, of course, like Mueller, like take at least like fifty ships. I will personally talk to the Kaiser and convince him because, like, we do not want a repeat. You don't of know what happened to Yang Wen Lee. Right, like, Yang Wen Li literally happened, like, three months ago. Like, we cannot have, like, like, the, like, like, Mittermeier, like, Mittermeier, like, possessing the power of pattern recognition realizes <laughs> that in many ways, this plot bears a suspiciously strong resemblance to the circumstances that killed Yang Wen Li, right? Like, oh, let's go meet up. Let's ta- You're going to need to take a long trip to meet up. You're going to be alone while you do it. To meet like, behind the 7 knows better than this. Right, right. Yes, yes. God, in this fucking 7-Eleven hey, uh, analogy, was, was Yang Wenli literally fucking <laughs> stabbed behind the 7-Eleven? God, is that actually how it goes down? Like, somebody's like, Yang Wenli, let's meet behind let's the 7-Eleven to talk peace. And then fucking the Earth Cult rides up on their bicycles and just fucking stab <laughs> God. Anyway, so yeah, so Mittermeier realizing this is like, oh shit, Reinhardt's also going behind the 7-Eleven. Mueller, make sure you bring a piece with uh-huh. you because we don't know what's going on down there. Like, bring a gun and a flashlight. We're not sure. And I'm going to like wait behind the – and I'll wait behind uh-huh. the vending machine just in case because Mittermeier says he will have his fleet stationed at the exit of the Fazan Corridor, like ready to back up like Reinhardt should anything pop off. And again – you know, like they're surprisingly uh, and considering Mittermeier, like that's a lot out of Mittermeier. Considering he would be like, Roenthal would never do that, right? Like this is like Mittermeier, Roenthal's best friend, Roenthal's only friend. Is even he is like, we got to be ready because like you don't know what's gonna happen. And again, it's like they're making smart choices, but the sad truth, of course, is that. They're not making enough smart choices. Mm-hmm. And the reason they aren't is because there's information they simply will never have access to. And like, again, I think that is always what makes this show so interesting. Um, and unfortunately, we find out that uh, uh, the idiot ball is getting passed around in the Empire today because uh, – uh, okay, you know, I'm being a little harsh here, but you know, it's just like the Empire's getting taken for a ride here. We are seeing a car crash happen in mm-hmm. slow motion. Reinhard asks because Hilda to stay. With Hilda. to stay on Fazan. Yes, be safe. And and Reinhard also says, <laughs> Reinhard in the most Reinhard way is also like, uh, also by the way, I want an answer to my um my love confession when I come back. And Hilda's just like. All right, <laughs> like I'll get, I mean, I'll, I'll have it figured out all by then. Considered I guess. pretty lenient of the Kaiser of the Galaxy, <laughs> right? Hilda recognizes that for better or worse, like Reinhardt is actually being extremely like um, uh, forgiving. <laughs> of course, to he's Hilda like, I want your, because- I would like an answer on that matter, and by that matter, I mean yes. that time I proposed to you a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Right. It's so like Reinhardt, please learn a sense of tact or 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 just 
anything. Learn how to talk to a girl, no. please. Take more lessons from Mittermeier. Yes. Even but, Hilda uh, is like... Then the narrator... Even yeah, Hilda sorry, is like, ahead. well, I'm sure that rumor of Roenthal Rebellion is just a rumor. Uh, right, and then the narrator says, and thus, this was a malfunction of Hilda's <laughs> intellect. It's like, oh no! <laughs> like, if even Hilda is, like, not running on full cylinders here, you just know some shit's mm-hmm. about to pop off. And, uh... She thinks that maybe now is a good time to go visit Anna Rose, the most important character oh, yeah, in the show yeah. who doesn't show up ever, probably. <laughs> like, right. Uh, and uh, Reinhard dramatically climbs up onto his ship as everyone fucking Hitler salutes him. Just yep. in case you, <laughs> the old just in case you all forgot. Right. In case you forgot that, you know, the leader of this uh, empire is called the Kaiser, and that in certain translations, it's not called the empire, it is called the I mean, Reich. It's, the, uh, it says NRC, it's the new Reich calendar. Yes, that, um... Uh, <laughs> this is uh, an autocracy. And of course, but, uh, Litz's fiancé waves him goodbye. Yes. Oh, man, Lutz... <laughs> We should have known, we really should have known better, like, I think that's always the delightful thing about this show, is, like, it leaves these pieces of bait right in front of us, and, like, we don't take them at the time, because our brains are so preoccupied with, like, the, like, dozen other subplots that are happening at the same time, you know, in the same way that Yang tricked Lutz by just, like, clouding him with misinformation, we, the viewers, are also clouded with misinformation because there are so many plot lines running at the same time that we don't realize that the most pertinent and obvious one is right in front of us. And uh, we should Indeed, just get right episode, into it. Uh, 92. Yes, where we return to Iserlone, where we see some new cadets being schooled by uh, his new title, the Sagacious and Morally Exemplary Poplin. <laughs> I'd like to point. Okay, so I know that soldiers in this show have historically been quite young by modern standards, uh, but yes. these cadets in particular, I feel like, are drawn to look young. Yeah, they are drawn to look like Julian, like, like Julian at the beginning like of season or fourteen, one, young, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's the reality of the situation. If I'm being if I'm being very real, if you have a population of like six hundred thousand, you are going to uh, uh-huh. you are going to start bringing your kids up in the military a little bit younger than you might normally because you need the manpower, uh-huh. and you need the manpower soon. Yep. And uh, you know, but uh, I mean, hopefully these kids uh, get out of this better than the kids in a uh, Gundam Oof, Thunderbolt Jesus did Christ. in that one episode, but. Uh, Look, man, they got Poplin yeah, looking out for them. Sure. I'm sure they'll be fine. Dust, Dusty, uh, like, Dusty notes that uh, Poplin seems pretty good with kids, and that if he wasn't born into such a fucking war-torn era, he might have been a kindergarten teacher or something. Yes, we f- yes we find we can add we can add good with kids to the list of <laughs> Poplin's multitude of achievements. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Julian just out of nowhere, like I don't even know what prompted this, but Julian decides Tear to just Dusty. fucking. This is like some scorched earth shit. Like this is the second. Like this Slice, is the this is the second. Like, your house most, to smother you with a pillow when you least expect it. Like 
We have not seen scorched earth tactics like this since it's Westerland. Like what below the what belt. Julian is about to do what 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 Julian is about to do to Dusty here, where Julian asks Dusty, "When is he gonna break up with uh, Miss <laughs> Celibacy?" And uh... I'm just damn Julian, like Julian essentially asking Dusty, "Hey." Hey, you fucking loser. <laughs> Why haven't you gotten laid yet? And Dusty, like, fucking bless Dusty, fucking just rolling with the punches. He's just like, well, you know, when you've been with, been dating, you've been yeah. with one lady as long as I have, when you've been dating celibacy for as long as I have, you know, it's hard to go your separate ways. And I'm just like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, Harry, fucking Harry call the ER, call the... <laughs> Fucking call the burn ward, like man, we goddamn fuck, dude. But um, <laughs> I you know, it, it's just one of those great little conversations that this show like manages to slip in mm-hmm. in between all like the real ass politicking. Uh, speaking of, so the narrator kind of gets into that like when Yang was alive, Julian was seen as like a genius archetype you know an archetypal right, genius like he's right super, he's the, so like, talented look at him rising up the ranks so young right like when young was alive there was this like there was this perception that oh julian is a kid who's going to do great things because he's being raised by great people but without young people begin to see julian more as a mirror or a shadow of young mm-hmm. Like the way the narrator puts it is that instead of a genius, Julian is beginning to look more like a missionary worker who holds the Bible of uh, Yang. Have Wen you Li. heard of our? Have you heard of our Lord and Savior Yang Wen Li? Right. Like, there's this idea that in, indelibly, because Yang is no longer around, and now Julian has to stand on his own, Julian's reflection of Yang grows only mm-hmm. stronger. And yeah. uh, we find out that Julian box. creates. Right, Julian sets up a mailbox essentially where people can voice their complaints and dissatisfaction. And unfortunately, we find out that Julian made, makes the cardinal mistake. He <laughs> reads the comments. Uh, Julian reads every they single one of these. Like, he's uh, <laughs> doing so according to Young Wen Li's teachings that uh, a, a truly open society must allow uh, its citizens to criticize the leader. Yes, but we find out, and once again, the most Legend of Galactic Heroes ass move that biographer Dusty Attenborough mm-hmm. would write of Julian Minchie, that, you know, these comments are unfair because, you know, the idea is that Julian is not a composer, he's a performer. That Julian is not a writer, but instead a translator. And, you know, as much shit as Poplin gives Dusty mm-hmm. for his prose, I actually think this is a really elegant way of, like... yeah summarizing what julian's strengths right. are as a person it would be, un- it'd be unfair also, to like, call kind of him putting in a good wor- as, like it would be unfair to call him as someone who's just aping young win lee's style right like there's this idea that like julian was never supposed to be like this one in a million genius instead where he excels is he takes the information he has and the information that he has learned over his like his life and he translates and applies them in, like, you know, new and effective ways. In that, like, you know, there's this idea that, like, even if he is performing somebody else's song, like, the way in which it is performed is, there's a quality to it in its own right. 
And, uh, of course, then they muse at, would Julian ever actually get the opportunity <laughs> to perform? And that makes me get nervous again, because I always get nervous when the narrator says mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, but, uh, he muses to himself while assembling the Yongwinli Analect that, uh, as the Lohengrim dynasty, you know, begins to slide into inevitable decadence, as all autocracies do, democracy will seem more appealing. Right. I mean, in many ways, Julian, Julian's plan and the Earth Cult's plan are essentially the same thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. outlast the Empire and eventually grow enough strength that you can present yourself as a viable alternative. Yep. Uh, but yes, we find out that despite all those talks, I think uh, we skipped over this, but I think there was a brief conversation, I think, I think with Royanthal where Royethal was like, also, by the way, we have to clamp down on all the people getting past yes, the, like, Ezerlone right. um, uh, blockade. Like, we cannot allow information to come in and out of Ezerlone. Like, we need to clamp down on that and make sure that they don't, like, we, we need to make sure they are completely <laughs> cut off. And yes. of course, cue a couple episodes later, we find out that once again, right. Kodev has somehow... The, the undutiness is apparently real good at getting past the blockade. <laughs> yes, so Kodev returns once again um to tell um to tell give Ezerlone yeah. some uh, pretty dramatic news perhaps even more dramatically than the uh, the incident at the park we find out that uh the kaiser has become the subject of an assassination plot that supposedly Roenthal has risen up against the kaiser and we cut to the event these the events yes. in question right we kind of go pseudo flashback uh so we find out that uh what happens is that Reinhardt decides on his like little tour to uh to take a stop at a planet. Uh, the what was the name of this planet episode? Planet Urvasi the in the Gandharva Star Zone. Right, so he visits Planet Urvasi to like pay respects to the War Dead, and you know, I don't know, essentially just hang out for a bit, I guess. And uh, we find out that things may not be as they mm-hmm. seem. Um, Reinhardt is kind of holed up in the library for the night. Uh, apparently he starts just reading like eight fucking textbooks about Ollie Heinesen or something. Some other book on um, this uh, in this Anna, screenshot here. Let's see here. History of the Free Planets. Uh, Last Christmas. The Gulf War. <laughs> Wait, really? The Gulf War? Wow. <laughs> yep. That ancient, ancient <laughs> war. There's the eight Gulf volumes war. here of Space Ace. Space oh, wait, this Ace, might be Space huh? Age. Oh, darn. I just had to read eight volumes of Space Ace. Sounds See like here. a cool fucking like, pulp now. novel or something. <laughs> Armageddon Now? Seriously? Alright, maybe I got a question. Reinhardt's well, taste in books again. They're just the books that but, are at uh, this place that he's staying, right? Oh, sure, sure. The guest okay, house. Okay, okay. Right, I guess this was, you know, this is a former FPA planet, so, you know, these would be books written mm-hmm. in the FPA. But uh, anyways, it's like a little bit past midnight when um, Lutz and Mueller show up again, and they're like, uh, some shit might be going down here. We should right. leave. The guards are acting strange. Uh, Lutz and Mueller say, right, they're like rapidly entering and leaving the building, and that when they question the guards about what's going on, they're not getting an answer. So uh, they decide to get into their limousine and uh, bail, head back to the uh, the Brunhilde. Where we get into yep. a car chase. Uh, turns out, yes, indeed, the like apparently the entire yes. garrison of this fucking planet is uh, 
is uh, out to gun and down Reinhardt. And it's up in the air and as to so, whether uh, this is under Royenthal's orders or not. Right, yes. They are not aware this is under Royenthal's command. But as the chase and as the assassination plot goes on, we kind of see uh, Reinhardt's... Uh, Reinhardt's grip on his faith in Royenthal begin mm-hmm. to erode in a way that I think is really interesting. <laughs> that, like, Mueller um, is like, don't you think this could be Royenthal's work? And uh, Reinhardt says, if this was actually Royenthal's plan, we wouldn't have gotten this far. Right. Like he says that this assassination plot is too sloppy to be Royenthal's work. <laughs> and uh, which I think is very funny. But uh, Mueller... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Mueller and Lutz, however, remain convinced that Roenthal is at fault and that they say that, look, if we're wrong, you know, we'll apologize for throwing blame at Roenthal. But for now, like, we need to operate on the information we have. And the information we have all point at if this is not Roenthal's fault, it is still happening in Roenthal's territory. And that one way or another, he has to answer for what is going on here. Yes. So, but, uh, uh, yeah. So they uh, make it into the woods where they, uh, uh, you know, it turns out the Brunhilde manages to escape and it's going to pick them up at, like, in the middle of the woods or something. Yep. Some like. So, like, they kind of, like, proceed on foot. And uh, they get cornered by more of these uh, Empire goons who are here to shoot Reinhard. And it is here where I say that, like, it's the not fucking, fair. like, <laughs> rules of narrative. It is not fair. Like this, I'm actually going to say, the, it is unfair how different the rules are that the Empire operates when it comes to narrative causality. Like the Empire, the Empire like gets to act so dramatically in ways that like if the FBA were ever to try the same things, would be immediately rebuked or subverted. Right. Like so they're, they're in these the guys woods. find out it's Reinhardt. Yes. And they have Reinhardt surrounded. There's like eight dudes with rifles against just Mueller and Lutz and like a couple of other dudes. Like, if they want to gun down Reinhardt, they have him dead to rights. Mm-hmm. But they're hesitating because it's the Kaiser. Uh-huh. And apparently, Reinhardt's cult of personality is so powerful that he can walk up to these men and say, Who here has the guts to shoot the Kaiser? And somehow that imbues one of them with the strength to turn his gun on his allies and single-handedly gun them all down to save Reinhard. Uh-huh. Uh, Mueller takes a shot to the arm in the process. Uh, somehow his mere flesh and bone can block lasers. Uh, yep. Mueller iron shield indeed. indeed. <laughs> Look, I just feel like in the past, we, we I feel like, okay, I'm, this is me complaining about a very petty thing. Like, I know that, like, in fiction, bullets being stopped by people is just a trope, right? But we are repeatedly shown in this show that the lasers can go through human bodies. Mm -hmm. In this very episode, we see a laser go through somebody's chest cavity, and you see the laser exit the other end. But when Mueller throws his arm out... His his arm, which is much thinner than his torso, out to block a laser intended for Reinhard. The arm blocks the laser, and Reinhard emerges unscathed. Yep. And I understand this is a very petty thing to complain about, but fiction, you must be consistent <laughs> about these kinds of things, damn it. Uh, it annoys me so much. It annoys me so like like look. If you have a hard rule that bodies can stop bullets, 
Fine, I accept it. But if you show that bodies can be penetrated by bullets, that's a rule you gotta maintain from start to finish, man. But anyways, I'm willing to chalk that up to, again, apparently Mueller is just made of sterner stuff than your average uh, so. empire and goons. So so yeah, so the dude, the guy who betrays his allies saves Reinhardt. Like, Reinhardt says, Congratu- congratulations, Corporal, you are now a sergeant. Um, and they're, you know, kind of going through Scott the woods right more, in the <laughs> Yes, fucking pretty little headshot right to the skull. Um, yep, and uh, Lutz so, uh, decides, I'll hold them off, you go on ahead! But we still have yes, time for this five-minute conversation! Conversi- yes, so this is again where I say that the Empire operates on what I almost find to be unfair or annoying rules of narrative causality. Like, let me remind you, Young died alone Fisher in a died dark alley, screen. essentially, a dark hallway. Fisher died off screen. He did not even get a line. Patrachev was gunned down without a speech. Like, uh, the only only FBA character in the history of the FBA to get a good cinematic death was Bukok. Every other FBA leader died ignobly. And in many ways, I don't mind that, because that is what the FPA is about, right? The F- the FPA is an ignoble, practical mm. organization, right? Like, it's what Dusty talks about, right? Like, we are an organization that cannot fight to the same rules as the Empire. And that applies to their stories as well. Like, it is more realistic that a good man dies in an ignoble way. It makes more sense that a good man dies without ever saying goodbye to his family. Hell, it makes more sense that a good man dies and you don't even find out until he doesn't mm-hmm. come back, right? Like, these are realistic ways. This is how most people die. Like, you know, this is, right? Like, this is the, is this not the tragic thing of the human condition? Is like, most people die uh, alone and unnoted. And like, that is true of the FPA. That has always been true of the FPA, is that, like, they're operating on much harsher, realer rules. But then we have, like, Kirk, but Kirk, the Empire? Kirk Eyes goes out into, like, dramatic saving of Reinhard, right? Like, Kirk Eyes takes a fucking shot to the neck and still has enough time to to tell uh, Reinhard to win the galaxy. Like Fahrenheit statements um, get these Fahrenheit. incredibly dramatic, like, last word scenes... Yeah, you, yes, you, you, yes, young can incredibly are my, are my keepsake to the Kaiser. You're like, take your life, right? That I give like, to anytime, you. <laughs> anytime somebody on the Empire side, nobody on the Empire dies an ignoble death. The most ignoble death on the Empire is maybe Kempf, who like goes down with Geiersberg, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like that is maybe as ignoble of a death as you find in the Empire, but like otherwise. They always die these dramatic deaths. And again, I'm not saying when I say unfair, I don't mean I don't actually mean like I think it's unfair that the Empire gets like more screen time or more cinematic moments. But I do think it is like weirdly like lopsided how much more like gravitas the Empire always gets. And again, it's because they're a more dramatic organization. They are a more melodramatic <laughs> organization. And they operate on these like clearly different narrative rules than the FPA. And before, I think I always like poked fun at that difference. I think here is the first time where it actually began to like again, I still love the show, 
But this is the first time it almost actually began to, like, not hurt my enjoyment of the show, but, like, stretch the limits of my disbelief. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because of the, like, the the time-sensitive nature of this scene, right? Like, like the assassins are right on their heels. Like, they hear their voices in the woods, right? They're shouting, here, here, Reinhardt's over here. We almost have him. Like, they are literally steps away from gunning down oh, Reinhardt. Like, Lutz has this whole and conversation yet- with the Mueller about how, ah, I'll, I'll hold them off because I'm older than you and it's my responsibility and you're injured, you can't do it. And don't worry that I have a fiance. <clears throat> like, it's all your responsibility to protect Reinhardt. And I'm a high admiral. I won't go out like this. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll make sure to get my right. accommodations like, all, while I'm alive. Right, like Reinhardt, right, like, yes, right. Even Reinhardt gets in uh, in on it, where he's like, "Look, so I will give you a commendation for your actions, but you must be sure to return alive." Right, it's like it's so dramatic, and uh, yeah, I mean, I love the Empire melodrama. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, think about how like, think about how like when Yang died, Julian was literally minutes away, right? Like, there's this idea that if Julie had arrived even, like, a minute earlier, two minutes earlier, three minutes earlier, Mm -hmm. Yang might have been saved, right? Like, there is this idea that, like, Julian missed Yang by minutes, like, seconds maybe, right? Like, who could have known? Like, we don't know how good (laughs) FBA medical technology is. Like, Like, how many seconds late was Julian to saving Yang's life? Like, there's this idea that, like... But Lutz has time a, to do this fucking of, whole dramatic rigmarole. Hold off, hold off like ten men right. on his own. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and again, of course, of course, it would happen this way. The Empire is melodramatic, so of course, Lutz gets this grand final sacrifice where he's holding out in the woods, gunning down assassins left and right, holding out long enough until the Brute Hilda can take off, and then he is finally. You know, he finally succumbs to his wounds. He dies standing but, up. Like, he dies standing. The assassins are too afraid to approach him. Or, and it's yeah, like, meanwhile, again, Young Wenli got bled out in a hallway alone. Yes, yes. And it's like, of course, of course. Look, of course the Empire stories operate like this. They're just so much more dramatic. And... <clears throat> Again, if this sounds like we are all maybe just still a little resentful over losing what is, you know, single-handedly the most well-written character in the history right. of fiction, like maybe so, but look, you want to list you, you look, you want to bring up any other contenders than Yang Wenli, I'm all ears. But um you know, and again, you know, this is not complaining about Yang's death because I think as we kind of, you know, spoke over the podcast, we accepted and, under, under, and understood the thematic fitting like how thematically fitting his death was. I guess it just stings all the more that like each empire admiral is apparently going to get their own, you know, five, 10 minute like death cut scene. Like, you know, like if a guy like Lutz gets this, you know, every admiral is yeah. going to get I mean, this. In fairness, scene, Lutz right? one OG. Like was in that first opening when I couldn't tell him apart from Bala and still can't. Well, Bill can't. Easy. <laughs> now, well, now, good, well, good, good, good news, Wallen. We now have an easy way to tell you apart other from than your, other than your voice. <laughs> All right. And anyway, yes. uh, yeah. So the people at Ease alone have received this news, and Yulian wonders uh, history is truly accelerating beyond their control. And uh, yes, he says that uh, everyone is living hastily <laughs> and they are dying. And how hastily. can we take advantage of this situation? Uh, 
And we ask yes. Burkatz, oh, do, you, do you think you could defeat Roy Dahl? And uh, Burkatz says that uh, perhaps prior to the Lipstadt War, our power levels were uh, more equal and I could have defeated him with because I have more experience. But uh, Roy Dahl is the type of person whose abilities expand in, in accordance to the, to the difficulty of, of the situation. Yes, yes, which is a, a very good way mm-hmm. of putting it, I and, guess. Julian uh, <laughs> <laughs> wonders himself, what would Yang Wenli do? <laughs> turns, turns to an empty chair. Right, yes. With Ghost Yang. Yes, uh, conveniently... Yeah, the conveniently empty chair that nobody... Like, people are standing in this scene, and it's just like... <laughs> just Ghost Young shows up, nods to Julian, uh-huh. and then fades away. And uh, Julian knows that for better or worse, he's going to yep. have to figure this and, one out uh, on his own. That ends this interesting but, uh, trio of episodes. Yes, and as the narrator says, we begin to enter an era <laughs> of uh, stupefaction. Which uh, is not a word I was aware of before this uh, this anime, but uh, perhaps it is a fitting one for uh, the wild fucking shit we are about to get into here. Yeah, but yeah, there's a there's a lot going on in these three episodes. Like you know, yeah, let it be said, like these are the requisite obligatory episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes at the beginning of every season right. that basically essentially exist to just set up what will be the primary yeah, conflict I've, of 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 the I think current we've fully season. fully ramped up into the conflict at this point. You know, like Reinhardt's yes, whereabouts yes, are unknown. Like, like who else could be culpable for the attempt on his life other than Roenthal? Like something's right. going to happen. I mean, Here's the thing, like I, I, right, like I don't know if necessarily, like it still feels weird to me if the war starts immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it feels like the pieces are not in play. Like I feel like there needs to be one more thing that happens between Roenthal and Reinhard yes. that truly sets this off. I would agree. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like it would be a little, it would be a little hard for me to believe. It would feel like all the like miscommunication that happens in a bad anime relationship drama if like because of this one event reinhardt immediately declares war on royenthal mm-hmm. like i feel like that would be a little too much like i feel like it'd be a little too much of like oh like miscommunication between the two like i think i think one more thing has to yeah. happen that drives a wedge between royenthal and reinhardt before they fully commit to this war but I think at this point it's pretty apparent that it is inevitable. Like Roythel and Reinhardt are going to go to war, and all of a sudden the FPA itself kind of gets thrown into a weird situation because, like, Julian mentions this mentions this a bit, and I think even Roythel mentions this a bit. Like, if a war happens between me and Reinhardt, the remnants of the FPA are not an insignificant right. factor. Like. Numbers wise, they are insignificant. Polit- like, but politically, as, a, as sudden, a third party, they have some sort of merit. Yes, not only that, but also because, like, you know, the thing I had realized is, oh, if Roenthal and Reinhardt go to war, Roenthal all of a sudden has a reason to take Iserlo, right? Because imagine. If Royenthal's galaxy brain plan is to go after Odin, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm not saying that is going to be his plan, but 
then all of a sudden, Reinthal, it makes sense for Reinthal to copy Reinhardt of why bother going through the harder corridor? Right, right. Let's go through the one that's like less defended. And in this situation, that has now become Ezerlone, where the remnants of the FPA are. And I begin to wonder, oh no, if is that how the FPA gets dragged into this? Is like either Roenthal or Reinhard like contact Julian and are like, or, let me demand pass, access yeah. to the Ezerlone corridor. Right. Like you like you will let us pass or you we 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 will destroy you essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And like all of a sudden, like that puts them into like a weird contentious position as well. And I'm I'm really curious how that's all going to play out. Like this war, like I think we have kind of accepted time and time again. Like Reinhardt has never really had an equal opponent in this show. Like in terms of like tactics and strategy, of course he had Yang, but like Yang was constantly fighting at a material disadvantage. Right. But between Royal and Reinhardt, again, you can make the argument that Reinhardt is probably still the superior tactician, but in terms of material resources, it's a lot closer of a fight. Yeah, we can like, and yeah, so we get to finally see if uh, Roenthal is truly as uh, powerful as certain people like to claim. Yeah, yeah. Like, does Roenthal live up to the hype? And hell, honestly, does Reinhardt live right, up to the hype? Right, still suffering from fever because, and all that. Yeah, yeah, but not even that. I just mean that, like, for better or worse, Reinhardt has spent the last 90 episodes clowning on enemies that, like, have never been close to his level. Like, Mm -hmm. whether, like, on a tactical level or, like, a material level. Like, even during, like, the, you know, the Battle of Amletser all the way back then where the FBA did have the material advantage, they suffered hugely from a tactical disadvantage because of bad leadership. Then, when Reinhardt fought against Yang... Yang was always at a material disadvantage. We have never... Reinhardt has never actually fought an opponent that had both material and tactical parity with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm very curious has, like, how that plays well, out. Because... Like, early on in the show, though, he did well when he was at a disadvantage. He has, he has. But I feel like even then, he always had these tactical advantage, if that makes sense. Like... Like I feel like I feel like Reinhardt has never really been in that even of a fight before, and I'm certainly curious, like what'll happen when he goes up against somebody who is not only like mentally close to his equal, but also like material and physically right. close to his equal, if that makes sense. But um, that speculation we'll have to save for another podcast because we're gonna finish this one up. So, uh, Eero, do you have any, like, closing thoughts? Any any final thoughts for these three episodes? I think if we... I mean, the war against Roenthal is probably inevitable at this point, but I feel like at some point we have to see Roenthal and Mittermeier meet on the field of battle in some form. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and it's going to be real sad, but I think that... I think that a, a moment like that is yeah. going to come, because, like... If against somebody like Royanthal, like I think in the past, in the past when they had more, you know, more to work with, I think that Reinhardt would have never pitted Mittermeier against Royanthal because on some level he knows that like the, phil- the 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 psychological strain of that would be too much. But in a war against Royanthal himself, like 
Yeah, Reinhardt will need every like tactical on advantage his, like, he can get. who he deploys. Right, right, and he's gonna need to deploy his best men, and one of his best men is Mittermeier. So like, yeah, you know, I think that is a moment that is going to be inevitable, and uh, you know, that's a fight I'd really be interested to see. You know, I think that like those two have like never, those two have always kind of existed in Reinhardt's shadow. I don't think they've ever really had a chance to really mm-hmm. show what they're capable of, and. uh very interested, curious to see how that plays. But uh, I think that's going to do it for this podcast. So let's take care of the housekeeping. So as always, you can listen to this podcast and read the rest of our content on theglorioblog.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can uh, listen to this podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and a few other podcast aggregators. You can also listen to the podcast on YouTube if that's more your speed. Um, you can also check out our sister podcasts, the Glorio Chat, where we're talking about uh, anime that is airing currently, as well as Glorio's King of the Kaiju, where uh, um, they talk about uh, uh, some kaiju movies they've been watching, uh, which includes uh, some uh, space amoeba <laughs> and such, which uh, that's a thing. Uh, you can watch uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and VRV. And I think you can watch Legend of the Heroes Dinoy Teze on Crunchyroll. Yes, yes. If you're interested in watching DNT, that is also available now. They've decided to release the DNT uh, movies, or what were supposed to be movie, uh, get theatrical releases in Japan. They were going to be releasing as a, a serial television series uh, on on Crunchyroll. So. You know, check. I mean, you know, check that out if you're interested in seeing kind of the differences. I honestly would love to do a podcast about the differences between yeah. DNT and the OVA. I think that would totally be worth getting into because I think there are some genuinely interesting. Again, I I do think DNT is not as good as the OVA, but I think there are some interesting things at play there. There are some interesting conversations that Save happen that for in another DNT, time, though. you know, that um, that uh, that I think are worth examining. But I do agree that's uh, probably for another podcast. So. As always, thank you all so much for listening. Eero, thank you for accompanying me on this journey. And until next time, we will see you amongst the sea of stars.